Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, it is Super Bowl week. You're not in Miami. Why not? I am not. I, I had an opportunity to go. I decided against it. I wasn't going to spend my money out of pocket, but I've never been. I need to get down to one for sure. Um, but in the meantime, I'm doing phenomenal. I'm excited for that game. And we have a really interesting guest. I'm kind of excited to sit back and learn some of this stuff that we're about to talk to talk about now with Jesse. This yeah, I, I, I had a question for you, but let's bring in Jesse. We've got Jesse Reeves. Okay. He is a senior writer at Player Profiler, does a ton of great work there, and also sharing a lot of that work on Twitter as well, which is uh, kind of what sparked his appearance today. Jesse, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to break down some of this stuff I've been working on and just chat with you guys, man. Yeah, it's going to be a fun topic. Uh, I saw this a couple weeks ago that you had shared this, or maybe it has even been longer at this point, but you clearly had a lot of work that you had put into it. Uh, I think it's always a hot topic this time of year. We're going to talk about wide receiver breakout age. And Matt, I want to go back to you on this. Do you, yeah. are you, are you familiar with breakout age at all? Is that something you use or you even really know about? No, I am familiar with it. When we talked CD lamb, we, we went into it a, a fair amount, you know, with Ray. Um, and I had, I'd heard about it and I haven't studied it profusely or anything, but it does seem like a very strong indicator. Yeah. I think, I think that's what Jesse's work has, has discovered, has found. So let's just start with what is breakout age for our listeners or maybe for Matt, we don't have to tell him, but maybe for those folks out there who aren't exactly familiar with it, maybe you've heard of it. You've seen it thrown around by uh, people like you on Twitter, Jesse, but you don't exactly know what it is. Just give us the the nuts and bolts. What is breakout age? Yeah. So at at its core, at at its most simplest form, breakout age is the age at which a college player surpasses 20% of their team's overall receiving uh, yards and touchdowns combined. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Simplest form there. So it's not receptions, it's the actual production of yardage and touchdowns. Yes, So there, um, and there's so many different variations with this data, and if you play around with it and, and people get really interested in it, you can incorporate receptions, which is actually um, found to be more stable than touchdowns right now. As a, yeah, as a lone metric, because um, anybody who does uh, deep data dives or, or has played around with touchdown data knows that touchdowns are really random in the long run, and they have no predictability year to year. So factoring those into um, into the the total overall scope of a player, which ends up being dominator, and I don't want to get too ahead of, of of anything else, but ends up being what is what we know as dominator rating or college dominator. Um, it can be a little bit iffy, but at at its core, breakout age is just the uh, the specific age at which a player surpasses twenty percent of their team's um, overall receiving market share, and that constitutes them being a breakout. So Jesse, I was looking over your your work that, uh, as I mentioned, you shared that on Twitter a few weeks ago. I I checked it out then and dug back into it a little bit more the past couple of days. You looked over, I believe it was every active wide receiver currently playing. You you basically dug it down to a number of twelve fantasy points uh, per game, uh, averaging twelve fantasy points per game for a year. How did you arrive at that number for for your baseline? Yeah, that's a really good question, Ryan. So essentially what I did is I took 
the average of that seven year sample. So from the the entire sample that I pulled was active players from 2013 all the way up to 2019. And actually, I didn't count um, the the 2019 average for incoming players. What I did is I collected the average um, points fantasy points per game per year from 2013 to 2018, and then I averaged out. Um, per season what that would have been and I actually got a, a pretty um, accurate signal there wasn't really too many spike years that strayed away from uh, the 11 11.8 per game total that I had gathered uh, from that entire sample so um, it seemed it seemed easy to kind of give uh, give a little bit extra to that 11.8 and just go to 12 points per game there and the reason why I went to 12 points per game is because that average that I was just speaking about was of top 24 wide receivers in the league so when you look at the entire sample we can see that the gist of what I was what I was trying to do was show what players are hitting over that twelve point per game average on a year year to year basis, and they're they're exceeding the average of what we expect a top twenty four wide receiver to do, which is generally what we really want when we draft these young wide receivers. We want them to be able to get inside of the top twenty four and hopefully stay there if the situation um, is conducive for them to continue to produce. I think that's a really good line of demarcation you made there. I mean. Um, basically they're a wide receiver two or better. And basically that means that these guys are more or less every week starters for your fantasy team. I mean, if you have anyone that qualifies, you're probably checking that box most week. So I think that's a really good line of demarcation. Very smart. Do you know what else is smart, Ryan? You got to get involved with Harry's, folks. I've been telling you a long time. I switched a long time ago. My face is happier for it. I get a much, much better shave. Um, does Harry's tie into your New Year's resolution? And it's still New Year's resolution time, folks. So, you know, if you want to manage your personal finances better, razors are expensive. But at two bucks a cartridge, Harry's saves you money all year long. If you want to take better care of yourself, sign up for Harry's. Harry's makes award-winning razors along with a whole range of grooming essentials to keep your 2020 routine in top shape. Um, Harry's wants you to start the new year off right. New customers get $5 off a Harry's trial set when you go to harrys.com slash dynasty. Harry's knows a great shave doesn't come from flex balls or heated handles or any of that nonsense. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality craftsmanship at a fair price. Harry's team combined a simple ergonomic design with five sharp blades. They source their steel from Sweden and manufacture their blades in their world-class factory in Germany. They cut out the middleman and ship directly to you, which saves you a lot of money and time. They have a 100% quality guarantee. They they stand behind the quality of their products. If you don't love your shave, let let Harry's know and they'll give you a full refund. You'll love your shave, though. Harry's has a special offer for listeners of our show. New customers get $5 off a trial set at harrys.com slash dynasty. You'll get a five-blade razor, weighted wonderful handle, foaming shave gel with aloe that smells great, and a travel cover. Join the millions of guys that already switched, including myself, and go to harrys.com slash dynasty to claim your offer. Jesse, let's get back to the data here. So you're essentially taking, in in this study, you're taking uh, NFL players, NFL wide receivers who have averaged at least 12 fantasy points over a season but then you're comparing that or or bringing in their college breakout age is that is that kind of the 10 cent version of it absolutely yeah so just to kind of build off what you said this this study was basically 
um, a way of simplifying uh, breakout age and using current players because I know a lot of people or some people might not be as familiar with college players right now coming in. Some people are just starting to get onto the hype train from the Senior Bowl and, and other things, but this was just a way to really simplify breakout age and other age-adjusted metrics and feed it to people in a way that they can understand with players that they understand. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much what the objective was here and then to look at it and compare it to other wide receivers that are still active in the league right now. Okay, so let's look at some of the numbers. You uh, Your first data point was for players with an age 18 uh, breakout. So I would assume in, in most cases, these kids are college freshmen and breaking out that first year of their college career, which is already impressive uh, in its own right. Tell us what you found about those age 18 breakouts after they entered the NFL. So yeah, just looking at the age 18 breakout, uh, looking at the sample, I found about 26 players that all had age 18 breakouts in college. And then going a little bit further than that, to break that down, we see that 12 of those 26, which amounts to about 46% of that, that sample, had two or more years of 12 fantasy points in a given year. So that means they were either on the verge or inside of that top 24, given the the year that it was. It could have been a spike year, and maybe they were just maybe tw- uh, wide receiver 25 or 26. There's a little bit of room to play there. Um, and going further than that, we saw that 15, per, uh, 15 of those 26 players, which amounts to about 57%, had at least one year of 12 fantasy points per year. Um, 11 of those, which is 42%, had um, uh, had zero years of fantasy points or 12 fantasy points per year. So when we look at just breakout age alone, that 11, that the, the 11 players, the 42% there, might look a little bit alarming. Um, it does seem kind of big, but we can always cross-check that and look at um, other things like draft pick and draft capital and dominator rating and breakout year and other things to kind of um, dig a little bit deeper. But when we're just looking at breakout age, that 46% and that 57% of players who at least had one top 12 uh, or one year of 12 fantasy points uh, per game, that's pre- a pretty big chunk of those players that tell us that Guys that are coming in that have broken out at age 18 are absolutely succeeding inside of that top 24 wide receivers when they come in. Yeah, I mean, you're almost at half that had two plus, and that plus could be five years, six years. You know, I mean, they're not necessarily exactly, just two three. Exactly, exactly. And even even so, if, you, if I were to narrow that sample, I mentioned draft capital because draft capital is honestly a really, really big indicator. And we could do a whole other segment on why draft capital matters just as much. But if you narrow that down to just draft capital in the first round and you go by age 18, you have a very small sample of active guys who broke out at age 18 and are in the league right now. Only two of them have not had at least one season of over 12 fantasy points. And that is Nikhil Harry. And it is Nikhil Harry and Corey Davis. Corey Davis definitely has the draft capital to go. I think he was miscast in that offense, but we all know what he, he did in college and he, he was phenomenal. But then you go to Nikhil Harry and he only, he, he was injured for part of this year. I don't think he got the rapport in new England, whatever you, whatever you say happened um, for his situation in new England. It's unfortunate that he didn't, but most of that sample of age 18 uh, breakouts that are drafted in round one are hitting and they're having multiple repeatable years of at least 12 or more fantasy points, sometimes even 14 or more fantasy points. And they don't go lower than that. Yeah. So just to put some names uh, to this 
to this group of players. We're talking about uh, Amari Cooper, DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, DJ Moore, Keenan Allen. These guys all had an age 18 breakout, so they saw some early success in their college career. Uh, Stefan Diggs, Corey Davis, you already mentioned, uh, you mentioned as well as Nikhil Harry. T.Y. Hilton is an interesting one because he he comes from uh, a small school, not a Power 5 school that many of those others do. We'll get into that topic later. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, Brandon Cooks, a couple of others who have already had some success in the NFL. Uh, So there's some misses on there certainly as well. But as you mentioned, you could almost weed a lot of those out if they're day three picks or if they don't have some of those other metrics that we'll, uh, we'll dive into later. So in the end, we're talking about over half of these players are at least giving you one season as a fantasy starter. Let's move over to age 19. So an age 19 breakout, what did that sample size look like? Yeah, so age 19, not too far off from what we saw at age 18 either. Uh, 56 players in the sample. 14, which is about 25%, had two or more years of 12 fantasy points per game in a year. Um, uh, 20 of them, 35%. Uh, had at least one year of 12 fantasy points per game in that year. And about 35 of those players, which amounts to about 63%, had zero years of 12 fantasy points per game in a given year. And again, we can also amount some of that to uh, what is known as, as draft capital. We can we can kind of weed some of those those misses out with draft capital. But you see a pretty pretty good hit percentage of wide receivers in that age 19 area um guys like josh gordon at the beginning of his career emmanuel sanders alshon jeffrey uh demarius thomas all guys that broke out uh at age 19 and continued to put up very repeatable years inside of that top 24 threshold the the thing i'm focusing on most here is like i said before is those with two or more years you know so it's not a fluky thing they're good football players. They're being used a lot. And it's pretty astonishing. It goes from 46% to 25% from age 18 versus age 19. Yeah, it, it, so there's <clears throat> there's always a factor that age 18 is is the 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 guys that break out at age 18 are the ones you want to pull the trigger on undoubtedly. They have a very very high success mm-hmm. rate when it comes to getting into their system, getting onto a team and being able to come in and compete right away. But those are also the guys that when we look back at the data, they have four strong years of college production and teams, NFL teams, although they might not know about this data, they're subconsciously picking these players based on the fact that they have four years of solid production and that they dominate. And intuitively thinking, any team that's drafting wide receiver in the first round, they're generally going to be given, not not given volume, because no matter what at the wide receiver position, it's it's earned. There are plenty of them on the field for you to battle with. But these guys are getting a leg up on age 19 receivers, age 19 breakout wide receivers that maybe go day three. And they're also competing with maybe another age, age 18 breakout or another age 19 breakout. And these guys haven't shown four solid years or even three solid years of production that say that they can automatically go in and compete with the talent. So there's a little bit of a drop off there and I definitely expect it, but, um, still, I think we have a a fairly high success rate, about 35%, uh, with, uh, the 20 players out of 56, that have at least one year of 12 or more fantasy points per game. And that's just among active players right now too, I would, I would say. Hmm. Yeah. And some, some huge names, you mentioned a few of them already, Jesse, but some huge names in this age 19 
breakout age range. Julio Jones, Demarius Thomas, Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf, uh, Odell Beckham, Sutton, Fitzgerald, Allen Robinson, Mike Evans, Godwin, Alshon Jeffrey. So, so some big time production. The other thing that stood out to me is uh, we see some of these day three picks with an age 19 breakout that have had some success. Jamison Crowder, uh, Marvin Jones is, is certainly uh, outperformed his, his draft capital, both his NFL uh, draft status as a fifth rounder and, and obviously does that pretty much every season. Um, so that that's obviously something to pay attention to uh, when we are looking for those sleepers in rookie drafts or, or late in startup drafts. I don't mean to put a wrench in your model by any stretch, but when, when Ryan was listing those names, he met, mentioned Larry Fitzgerald and only rang a bell because I was there. I helped recruit Larry. And he has a ni- an age 19 breakout, but that was his freshman year at Pitt. He did a year of junior college. So maybe there's an asterisk by a couple of these guys too. It depends. And the thing about when we look at uh, junior college prospects that – that come in and they transfer to a power five school is as much as I would, I would love to be able to have a lot of those junior college data sets. A lot of them aren't necessarily available. So there is another, there's another year. No. And they wouldn't be accurate. Trust me, watching the tape. I mean, like Larry played some linebackers. Yeah. <laughs> I was unaware of that. That doesn't surprise me though. <laughs> it, just like yeah. for fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, so there is another um, set of, uh, there's another year of, of data out there that's sitting that could probably give us maybe more of an answer on to whether or not he broke out at age 18 instead. And then we look at his draft capital comparative to, um, to his breakout age and maybe we should have had him higher or maybe we should have had him right where he is depending on um, what that data tells us but unfortunately we can't get reliable stuff there and that's that's sort of the case with a couple of these guys in this in 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 multiple classes as well that that don't have a full data set there yeah we're going to talk about a few of those other players that uh, probably do deserve that asterisk and and they just don't fit the model necessarily so like with anything you don't want to just take this as, as, at face value. And if this is the only tool you're using, you know, n- no offense, Jesse, you're probably not going to have a lot of success. This is one piece of the puzzle and, and you've got to fit everything else with it. So, but I, I think it's a, a very helpful piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's yeah. designed to give a signal and more than anything, yeah. what it should do, it should not, it's not going to tell you absolutely who's going to hit and who isn't because there's misses everywhere. But what this data is really designed to do is to kind of help you drop these players in specific buckets and help you really leverage the value that you should be putting on these players that are going forward in your dynasty leagues. And then players that are coming in that you're going to be spending really high uh, rookie draft capital on, it should help you kind of set these players into tiers and look at okay this guy he hit this threshold check that off he hit this threshold check that off he also hit this one let's look at the success rates for guys that that fit this mold and then you know paint the clear the clearest picture possible is what this data like this does so i totally agree with you i mean i think this is a great dynasty tool and obviously this is a fantasy podcast but if I was back in an NFL front office, I'd be all over this. Thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very very intriguing data and I've I've had really really good talks with people that do scouting and uh, do it as, as their day job. And, and uh, they have been really intrigued and <clears throat> really interested in this data. Now I don't, I have, I have no idea if they take it along with them and, and how much they use it in their daily life, but it does have extreme value when we're able to put kind of a, um, a numeric value on these players coming in. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's starting to get out there a little bit more. I mean, Breakout Age is not something I've heard on a national broadcast, but we have started to see uh, market share being mentioned on on both NFL games and college broadcasts. So we're we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, so a, a quick recap: Age eighteen breakout. Um, age there were 26 players in that sample and again this is the past uh six seasons 26 players over half of them are giving you at least one wide receiver uh two season wide receiver two or better age 19 56 players over one third of those are giving you at least one wide receiver two or better season so let's move jesse to the age 20 uh breakout age what does that look like yeah, so at age 20 breakout, we have uh, about 57 players in that sample. Only eight of those, which is, amounts to about 40, 14%, excuse me, had two or more years of 12 fantasy points or uh, per, per game or more in that uh, in, in that given year. Uh, but we get up a little bit to 18, which is about 31% of that sample, with at least one year of 12 fantasy points per game. But 39, which amounts to about 68%, had zero years of 12 or, or more fantasy points per game in a given year. So this is where things kind of start to, to tailor off a little bit. The signal starts to get a little bit weaker with uh, prospects and, and an age 20 breakout. And when we filter just names that are, that are age 20 breakout and... What we've seen from them, we see a guy like Randall Cobb who has who has sustained that since looking back just to 2013. He's got multiple years of over 12 fantasy points per game, and we can also look at <clears throat> draft cap. There, he was he was drafted in the second round, which means he he likely had a little bit of a leg up in in being able to acquire some of that volume coming into a situation in, in Green Bay. Folks from that area of the country are a little slow. <laughs> that's fine with that that's fine with me. That's perfectly fine with I wasn't me. gonna I wasn't gonna get into it, but Cobb <laughs> Cobb would be oh. another Cobb would be another one of those asterisk players because at Kentucky his freshman year and, and his sophomore year, he's playing quarterback. He's playing quarterback, he's playing yes. running back. Yeah. So he yeah. did not play he did not play exclusively wide receiver until his junior season uh, when he broke out. So he really broke out as his first year exactly. as a receiver. Exactly, which yeah. context right. always matters. When you know that a player maybe might not have, have played a full position, it's it's almost the same um, conversation that we're going to end up having this year with a guy like Lynn Bowden out of Kentucky. Um, he played multiple positions, and we saw him spike this year in, in receiving. But um, getting even, even more deeper into to age 20, we're looking at guys like the one that stands out to me the most consistent out of age 20 is, is AJ Green. Uh, we're talking about just multiple years mm. of dominance from despite his injuries all the way back to 2013 coming all the way to 2019. We know he, he didn't have a, have a year this year, but looking back on, on just that, that the past six years of data there never had a season below 14 fantasy points per game. And he was, but then again, we look at his draft capital. He was drafted with the fourth pick in the first round. He automatically came in and he was able to, to establish himself as the go-to wide receiver. And, and he never looked back and he was, he falls into that category of one of those eight players, that 14% of guys who had two or more uh, years of 12 or more fantasy points per game. And there's a lot of other notable, there's there's a couple other notable names on this list. We look at Cooper Cup, who's had a, a really big um, surge these past two years. Um, guys like Robbie Anderson, um, 
uh, as well, and some spike years from Nelson Aguilar. You could really weed yourself out when uh, weed a couple of these guys out, and and hopefully hit on them if you're keen on where they're being drafted and the situation that they're going to as well. A lot of these guys still in that age twenty range do have some upside. I would think a lot of these guys, or some of them, are a couple. I would say not a lot. Maybe you start as a freshman. Pull a hamstring, only play three games. And then, you know, just think about A.J. Green's career. I mean, if you're injured, but you're still awesome, it might take you a year or two. Yeah, it, it definitely. And that's pretty much why we pull samples like this and why the best data comes from historical, not just over the past two or three mm-hmm. years. We definitely look at, at historical data. And this is why I felt like a seven-year, a six- to seven-year sample for this data was, was perfect because we can look back at a guy like A.J. Green who came in with that first-round draft capital, and he absolutely dominated all the way up until this year. And he did it being an age 20 breakout. But when we start to look a little bit more at, at some of these specific players, like maybe a Sterling Shepard or um, these these other guys, maybe a, uh, um, excuse me, maybe a Curtis Samuel, who's just now starting to surge and, and spike a little bit, had that age 20 breakout. What we can say is, and we could probably talk about it for Debo and, and DK Metcalf of this last class, because they didn't spike in a lot of these breakout age or draft capital. Well, draft capital they did, but in, in breakout age and dominator rating and such. Um, one thing we can't do is we just can't account for what what did happen and not account for what did happen. So context is always needed to go to your to go with your point, Matt. We should always be looking for an edge and looking at guys that maybe they pulled that hamstring in, in three games and they didn't get the chance to break out uh, their their freshman year, but unfortunately, we we have to be able to kind of take ourselves away from that and say, well, it we can't log it because it it did happen, but we can't not show it attention because it didn't happen. If that makes sense, I think that's mm-hmm. kind of where people get into the weeds a little bit and they say, well, this could have happened and this could have happened, and unfortunately, we we can't always go on what could or what what would happen. And in those situations, it creates guys that can be what what a lot of people would call outliers and coming in and, and dominating whatever uh, situation they're in. One thing that stands out to me in looking at these age 20 breakouts are the players that were drafted in the first round. You already talked about A.J. Green. Obviously, he's had uh, huge amounts of success. But outside of him, the first-rounders are players that, if you'd avoided them uh, in your rookie drafts, you're probably better off. We're talking about Corey Coleman, uh, Nelson Aguilar, Will Fuller has has certainly been hit and miss. Ted Ginn uh, was an NFL first-rounder and and has not had that, that type of career that we might normally associate with that. The other one who is was a first rounder uh, is Calvin Ridley, and it's interesting that I think Calvin Ridley and AJ Green are the two who have really uh, had some success. Obviously, different levels, uh, different degrees of success, but those are a couple of players who were always uh, they were old college prospects, relatively old. Um, they entered the league at uh, at an older age compared to their peers, so. Again, we don't want to dismiss this information, but it's it's data that we want to we want to factor in and, and kind of tell ourselves the full story. Absolutely, totally agree. All right, let's move on to age twenty one. We've got uh, a couple more years of data here. You said age twenty was the spot where you were starting to worry, but we still had about a third of that that sample size who was giving us at least one uh, one season as a. Uh, wide receiver two or better age 21 it gets ugly really quickly jesse real quick jesse i found it really you know maybe it's a coincidence but really telling that 
age 21 and age 22 have the exact three same percentages. I mean, they're, they're different amount of players. It's different sample. But it kind of seems like if you're 21 or older, forget about it. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much the exact signal that we get from from guys that that are anywhere after age 20. Like I said, you get you have um, a, a really strong signal or a fairly strong signal with age 18 and 19. 20 poses some some good upside, but when once you get into 21 and 22, you're you're generally looking at guys who had sort of a flash in the pan kind of year. Um, their their senior season and just totally dominated mm-hmm. at whatever school they were at. Most uh, <clears throat> most notably or most recently, I would say um, Hakeem Butler, who had just an outstanding season last year. At the, yeah, last year in college, and then came in and he was. We, we all expected him to do really, really well, and unfortunately, he didn't. And it was probably because we he, we only saw that one spike year in production, and he didn't consistently do it. So, looking at some of these names in the in this age twenty one bracket, you just see a whole lot of misfires, and you see guys. Right now, there are some in here that the only one that has first-round draft capital among this a- this active group right now is Marquise Brown, and he averaged 11.8 this season per my uh, my my comp- compiled data right now, and so he was just barely under that threshold, but he looks poised to kind of be a focal point of that offense in that deep game. And as long as no other wide receiver comes in that has an age 18 or 19 breakout. I would fully expect him to be uh, to continue to be a focal point in that offense. And then the other one that kind of stands out to me right here is, is Dontrell Inman out of Virginia this that year. Um, in uh, he's drafted in in 2011. He had a couple spike years. Only one that was over um, that was over 12 fantasy points per year. But just looking in that entire sample, 35 players, only two had two or more years of 12 fantasy points per game in a year. Only three of them, about 8%, with at least one uh, year of 12 fantasy points per game in a given year. And 32 of those 35 players, which is 91%, had no years of 12 fantasy points per game in a given year. So, yeah, like you said, Ryan, that signal, just it, it almost just dies. It just kind of falls off a cliff there when we look at it. Yeah, this, this is pretty disheartening. Um, looking at some of the players, Paris Campbell... Uh, Marquise Brown, you mentioned, or a couple from this past draft class who had the age 21 breakout. Uh, the other one, and, and clearly the, the one that grabs your attention when you see the list, is Michael Thomas of the Saints. Uh, of course, he has... Uh, I think he's out of the woods, though. Yeah, I think, I think we're safe on him. But that brings a couple questions to my mind, Jesse. One, at what point do you do you dismiss this data and say, okay, this was... In this case, that didn't have value. If they give you two years as a wide receiver, two or better, uh, with with a poor breakout age, are you are you letting the breakout age go? Are you treating that as a sell high opportunity? Personally, what are you doing with that? Personally, because we don't get very many Mike Thomases um, <clears throat> when we're when we get into the, this age group here, I'm personally looking if they come out with multiple years of having of surpassing that threshold of maybe 12 fantasy points per game in a year, and they are just knocking on the door of multiple top 24 seasons. I would venture to say that the situation that they're in is very conducive for them to be able to keep performing, and I would probably evaluate and assess 
going into whatever year of the draft that you're going into, what that team might do. Because even though some of these players do pose that upside, like I said, we don't get very many Mike Thomases, and the chances of anybody coming in, even with an age 18 breakout or 19, and coming in to knock him off of his throne is still very unlikely. But we do look at him and we say, okay, he got picked in the second round, which gives him a little bit of a booster, that draft capital there. We like to see that, and even though he is, he did come out with an age 21 uh, breakout age, he does have that kind of draft capital to kind of fall on. Now, among all of these other guys, Marquise Brown kind of worries me. If we hear that the Ravens have been kind of toying around with the idea of drafting a wide receiver, they're going to be sitting in the back half of this draft, and if they go ahead and they pick up maybe a, a, a Jalen Rager, which I, I'm just using him as an example. I can't see them adding uh, him because he has a sort of similar skill set downfield to Marquise Brown, but he hasn't. Uh, Jalen Rager has an age 18 breakout. I'd be very worried for worried for Marquise Brown going forward if they implement a guy that comes in with a better college analytical profile because what this this data tells us more than anything is guys who are young have the ability to come in and take the volume away from other players. So when we get inside this group, that's why it's good to not just identify who's breaking out at age 18 and 19, but it's very, very good to look at guys that are in that 21 and 22 range and see what situation they're walking into um, and and see who's around them. What college profiles or what profiles of these players are they going to be competing with? Um, I don't know off the top of my head whether Michael Thomas walked into the situation in 2016 and he just had no one else around him and he just surpassed everybody that he was uh, that he was playing against and commanded that. But again, an almost unnatural situation for for a guy that breaks out that late to come in and dominate the way he he did. Um, seeing the other names on this list, but. Always check and always be aware to add that context here because like we've been saying this whole entire show, this data is not concrete. It just helps you drop these guys into a bucket to where you should start to value them. And always look because there, there are going to be guys that can um, can perform and give you usable years uh, that do have an age 21 breakout. They're just few and far between. I know we're going to get to this, but Marquise Brown, Paris Campbell, Michael Thomas – they didn't exactly go to Valdosta State. You know, I mean, Oklahoma and Ohio State are four of the top five programs in the country. So mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting topic, too, and I know we'll get to that soon here, too. Well, I, I kind of wanted to touch on that, too, uh, Jesse, and this is – I feel like we've been trying to poke holes in, in your data all show long. That certainly is not <laughs> not the intent. We just want to get a good understanding of it, and uh, and most importantly, we want to know how to be able to apply it to this upcoming class we'll get into that as well i filtered your data by school and i'm looking at ohio state they've got seven wide receivers in your in your sample six of those were day one or two nfl draft picks so let's throw noah brown a seventh rounder out the other six curtis samuel ted ginn devin smith paris campbell michael thomas and terry mclaurin none of those guys broke out uh as a teenager, so they were all age 20 or later breakout. Terry McLaurin didn't even have a breakout age, meaning he never hit that 20% threshold you talked about. Is there just something about Ohio State? Because we've got we've got Samuel and, and Michael Thomas and McLaurin that, again, if, if this was a pretty big piece of our puzzle, we probably would have missed on those guys. And maybe it has dynasty owners worried about Paris Campbell right now. Is is the, what's going on at Ohio State? 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, th- honestly, I would probably have to go back and 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 filter through years and years of just Ohio State data in general, which is something I'm more than willing to do and actually intrigued by now to see what's going on with a lot of these players and why they aren't meeting these thresholds. A lot of people uh, will attribute to it to maybe some, sometimes in the past they just did not pass enough, or a lot of the wide receiver volume was going to maybe um, the running backs or other positions like the tight end, but. We'll use Terry McLaurin as as a perfect example here. Uh, at the, the bottom of the barrel among this these this these Ohio State wide receivers never broke out, never was able to surpass a single year of over twenty percent of Ohio State's uh, receiving work, and yet he just averaged about thirteen point six uh, fantasy points per game in two thousand nineteen. Now, if we look at the entire um, situation to where Terry McLaurin walked in, there was nobody else outside of Trey Quinn. Who had the who had a better profile than than or who necessarily well actually but I want I'd like to take that back because everybody on that team probably had a better profile than him but the one notable one that had the the best profile was probably Trey Quinn and even if we look at that draft class and we we see Kelvin Harmon who I believe was a sixth round pick and we see <clears throat> that Terry McLaurin actually was was probably the highest drafted wide receiver on that roster, I believe. I, I cannot remember Pretty off sure. the top of yeah. my head where Paul Richardson was, but Terry McLaurin, and this is this is exactly why we look at draft capital, because like I said earlier, teams are not going to draft a wide receiver, particularly in the first round, we see the strong signal there, but even uh, rounds one through three, they're generally not going to draft a wide receiver in the first three rounds and not give them an opportunity to to perform. And when you walk into a system like Terry McLaurin did with no true alpha, with one guy who probably should have seen all those targets and been able to perform on all those targets being uh, Trey Quinn and who didn't Terry McLaurin was was able to walk in there and become the best wide receiver on that roster because the situation there with everybody else that was surrounding him and we also see Adrian Peterson there. I, I can't remember off the top of my head how many receptions that they had this year, or how many receptions he had this year. But I'm I'm going on um, a whim here and saying that they didn't filter a lot of those targets to the running back position. A lot of that, a lot of those targets this year went downfield and were to that wide receiver position. And when you pair that draft capital with um, with these players, you see that teams are more willing to give players that are drafted early more of that more of a look and get them on the field early. And if you have any semblance to be able to perform, you are probably going to be able to perform. Now, with with that being said, my only issue is if the, this is why it's good to know what situation these players are walking into because if the Redskins do add a player with a better profile, that's when I start to become worried about Terry McLaurin being re- uh, relegated to that to that wide receiver two role, and we probably see him start to regress more towards that nine, maybe 10 fantasy points per game per year because a, a college player that's coming in that has a better profile is going to have a better chance, and especially if they spend even earlier draft capital on him than they, do on, than they did on Terry McLaurin. McLaurin's college wide receiver meeting room was way more talented than his pro. It's crazy. Yeah, there was there was a there was a lot of talent there given what what a lot of people were hyping up that that entire class and uh Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin together and and with Dwayne Haskins too. Um and that's another thing that when we look at this data, Dwayne Haskins had a an almost what I mean, now that Joe Burrow just had a career season, we could look back to last year before Burrow. We look we see that 
uh, Dwayne Haskins was just having an absolute monster year. 50 touchdowns, I believe um, somewhere somewhere near 5,000 yards or give or take. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he, he was just having a dominant year. And it's hard to look at that and see a quarterback have a dominant year like that and then see one of his wide receivers or two of his wide receivers in this case not be able to surpass specific thresholds. It's, it's kind of a, a one-two thing there. Um, why is this quarterback doing so phenomenal and, and slinging the rock everywhere and throwing 50 touchdowns, but we can't get Terry McLaurin to spike in any of these thresholds? It's a little bit of alarming there. Well, let's let's throw one more rock at this because, and I think this is the most important one. This is This is the topic I've seen come up the most, and I'm sure it's one that you have been asked about a lot, Jesse. How do you factor in the program level? You're looking at at wide receivers uh, across the across the NFL. They're obviously uh, a lot of those are coming from Power Five schools, but you have a guy like Ashton Doolin who uh, was a rookie last year, coming from Malone College. He was undrafted, but he had one of the youngest breakout ages in your data set. How do you compare a guy from Clemson or Ohio, or, or Ohio State to? Malone and, and Ashton Doolin. Oh, so I think that's hard. <laughs> and I definitely get the, the argument of, of surrounding talent. So this, this data set, and when we, when we look at outside of just breakout age and what actually makes up breakout age is when we're able to look at the market share of receiving yards and receiving touchdowns and receptions. And we see a player like Ashton Doolin at Malone, when we see him surpass and actually smash these these thresholds his college dominator was 60.9 percent which means over that that span of him um uh, competing at malone he accounted for over 60 percent of their receiving production and that that's phenomenal give or it doesn't matter what program you're in the fact that one player is averaging that much over a three-year span and has totaled that much over their college career of uh, of an offense that's phenomenal. And what this data does is it hopefully the what we want it to do and at, at at its best it cancels out the noise of the competition around them. 10,000 yards or let's go, let's lower that to 1000 1000 yards at Clemson is 1000 yards at Malone. 1000 yards is 1000 yards. Now, when we look at a player that garners 1000 yards over multiple seasons and has 10 to 15 touchdowns over multiple seasons when we're looking at the competition on the other side of the ball I think that's where a lot of people get the notion that oh he competed against other uh, you know other talent that wasn't as good as in a power five school but take a look at the other side of the offensive side of the ball he was dominating every single player every single year on his own team and that's the signal we're looking for I'm not looking for him to be better than a Power 5 defender, although I'm sure if he were to go to a Power 5 school like Clemson, he would probably see a little bit more um, defensive struggles there and probably see a little bit more of the top corners. But I'm looking on the side of the ball that he was competing against, which is the players on his own team. And that's where we get the best signal from this data. That's where we're able to identify an Ashton Doolin who had just an absurd, absurd, absurd amount of production there at Malone. And unfortunately, I think the mindset needs to shift from, oh, he didn't see defensive, you know, defensive fronts and he didn't see um, power five school defenders. Unfortunately, we need to shift that mindset to he dominated his own team share of production. And I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon, but 
unfortunately what NFL coaches see is the the question that's posed is how would we how would he do in a power five school or they tend to brush these guys off that don't go to power five schools and then they go undrafted like Ashton Doolin did and he has an age 18 breakout with a massive amount of production and he went under the radar when he can perform and he can dominate against his against his own team and, and the players that are on his own team and he can't he can he can play football but NFL teams don't see that because he didn't go to a power five school so I think more than more than anything shifting the mindset to off of the defensive side of the ball and who he was facing against uh, uh, on the opposition is looking at who he beat and how he how he was able to garner that that much production on his own team I, I mean I'm sure Mr. Doolin did not turn down full rides from Notre Dame and Alabama to go to Malone. But during his time there, every defense coordinator had to know that he was the best player on the field and had to see extreme coverages rolled his way too. So that balances it out a little bit. I I totally agree. I can't imagine that they were just like, oh, this this Ashton Doolin guy's pretty good. Let's just let's let him face one on one off man for for the entire game. Put, I can't imagine Put Johnny imagine... the accountant on him all game. Yeah. Exactly. I can't imagine that um that <clears throat> that coaches were doing that in in any conference, whatever conference he was he he you know he's playing in. I can't imagine that that was the case. So um, yeah, like I said, we we tend to look at this data from the him dominating his own team's market share, and it's it's meant to hopefully cancel out a lot of the noise of competition on both sides of the ball, if you will, too. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we should be giving up on Ashton Doolin quite yet. Uh, of course, just one year in, and and uh, I'm not sure if he even got on the field honestly this first season. But looking at some of the other undrafted wide receivers with a uh, with an 18 or 19 breakout age, uh, Jermaine Curse. It took him a while, but he had a productive career. We've seen Kendrick Bourne have a nice year lately, um, and then. Uh, Steven Sims is also on that list, made some big plays for the Redskins down the stretch. So, uh, I mean, these are not superstars, but with an undrafted player, that's that's not necessarily what we expect. So uh, the door is not closed for Doolin or, or guys like him yet. Uh, Jesse, let's let's wrap it up today by looking at the incoming rookies, uh, some of the top names available and their breakout age. Uh, do you have that data for uh, let's let's start at the top with Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb? Yeah, so CeeDee Lamb is actually coming in with an age 19 breakout, and I, I really like I really like CeeDee Lamb. I like what his data is giving us, and we see him <clears throat> have about an average dominator rating of about 25.5%, and uh, we saw him spike this year with about 35% uh, of, of Oklahoma's overall offense, or receiving work, I should say, and yeah, we, we, he's coming in with a strong data set as it is right now. There's only about two other players um, that are going to be maybe a little bit higher than him given given what they've done in college, and a lot of that has to do with, with a little bit of a younger breakout. But CeeDee Lamb is right in the mix for being in a, in a Tier 1 spot for me based off of the analytics that, that I've gathered on him. What about Judy? Jerry Judy. So Jerry Judy is an interesting one. He's coming in with about an average dominator of, of 18.8 over – his last three years coming into an age 19 breakout had 25.9% of uh, uh, Alabama's offense receiving work, sorry, and followed it up this year with a little bit of a regression had 21.4%. So he's a little bit under the radar for me. Um, when I, when I look at the numbers, not under the radar, I, I should say, but he's definitely a fringe guy and he's somebody that I'm going to be, it's hard to put him in into a tier two because you know that, 
he is going to go in the first round. And as we just talked about for this whole entire show, when we look at draft capital as as an indicator of success, wide receivers that get drafted in the first round that have an age nineteen breakout, they succeed. So um, it's going to it's going to come down to exactly where he's drafted and what situation he's going to. But I fully anticipate him to get drafted in the first round, and he will be a, a big hit in 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 a post draft model for sure. But based on what you've seen so far. If Judy is the 1.04 rookie pick, you would not spend that pick to get him. Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, or you prefer Lamb? Oh, I prefer Lamb. Yeah, I would. Okay. I definitely prefer Lamb there. I think he's a, he's a little bit more stable. And even if you just want to turn on some film some film points too, I, I'm assuming that whoever whatever team drafts him is going to know his skill set as just a monster physical wide receiver who has a, a ton ability at the catch point he's he can run every route and he's just an absolute monster so I, w- I would take him based on analytics and just the scope of of his entirety as a player but jerry judy i don't think is going to be very far behind him in in any pre-draft model just based on the, where these guys are projected to go which is uh it's first round or bust for these two so Henry Ruggs, I think, is going to be a, a, a hot topic in this draft class. And one reason is he does not have a breakout age. He never reached that 20% mark at Alabama. What are you doing with Henry Ruggs? Uh, this is the one guy uh, I was I was asked uh, a couple nights ago to just kind of take a stand on. And, and my stand is that I'm just not, I'm not pulling the trigger on him. <clears throat> He, no matter where he goes, it, I know a lot of people are touting him as a, a first-round talent, and if he does get that first-round nod and, and we can add that first-round draft capital to him, I will be a little bit more intrigued. But it is going to be very situational when it comes to him. Uh, a guy that doesn't break out in an uber-talented offense, despite the talent around him, is alarming. No matter which way we want to spin it, um, it you, we, a lot of people are saying he's really good, he has a lot of speed, and he's going to be a fantastic receiver. Well, um, he, he can be a good receiver, but the fact that he wasn't able to beat out Jalen Waddle a year ago, and he wasn't able to beat out Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith for a lot of these targets and a lot of this this production at Alabama, that kind of screams to me that when he comes to the NFL and he is faced with other NFL talents, not just NFL prospects, but now actual legitimate NFL talent, that we're going to be seeing some of a lot of the same of what we saw at Alabama, which is a guy who just cannot get it going and he can't produce uh, outside of whatever his role is going to be as a speedster on the outside. I think he'll have serviceable weeks. I think he's going to be worth a a, a look, but it's going to be very situational driven. So Ruggs, as I said, falls into that category with no breakout age. Uh, We talked about Terry McLaurin in that same group potentially for a similar reason, a a crowded depth chart uh, in college. Tyreek Hill, no breakout age. Uh, Of course, he bounced around. He played some running back, maybe one of those uh, asterisk-type players. Mecole Hardman, Corderell Patterson, a couple of other notable players. Do you have data on what percentage of those no breakout age actually do end up producing? So if I'm looking at just, I, I don't have the whole scope of maybe a, a 10 or 15 year sample, but even if we're just looking right now at the, the player, the active players that we have right now, we see a guy like Danny Amendola spike at about 10 points per game um, in, in a single year. We see Chris Hogan, who had that spike year in New England, uh, averaged a little bit over 12, point, uh, 12 fantasy points per game in that year. And then we see um, Adam Humphreys as well. He, he spiked at about 11.8 fantasy points per uh, per game in, in a given year. And 
<clears throat> so those that's the data that I do have on guys that that have no breakout age. That, that's not very like, exciting. No, no it, it it definitely is. They they tend to not succeed, but it is situational. We saw Miko Hardman. I know a lot of people got excited about him, but he he really didn't do as as much as a lot of people thought he was going to do. And especially after Tyreek Hill came back, he was used very situationally. And that just goes to show that guys who can't break out in college and beat out the talent there likely aren't going to be able to when they're in a crowded wide receiver room or a crowded offense such as one that that's that's boasting Travis Kelsey. And and Tyree Kill as well as Sammy Watkins too, but I would be weary. Like a guy, for example, just off the top of my head with with Henry Ruggs, I think it would be he would intrigue me if if he went to maybe a New York Jets without Robbie Anderson, where he's only competing with uh, Le'Veon Bell, who's a running back, and and Jamison Crowder for targets. That would be a situation where I might dive on him in the later rounds of rookie drafts and and expect some situational upside there because he's not competing with four or even even two at the most uh, viable fantasy options there. So there is upside. It's just about knowing how to value these players and and especially valuing the situation that they go to. Yeah. And at this point with, with plenty of time to go, admittedly, Henry Ruggs looks like a a mid to late first round rookie pick, uh, both in the NFL draft and in dynasty rookie draft. So sounds like one player you will be avoiding. Does that mean you'd also be uh, selling or or at least staying away from Hardman this off season. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I yeah no simply yes. I would I would love for him to just absolutely spike in the Super Bowl and just go off for maybe a ninety yarder or something. And then I'm telling you that day I am sending him off wherever <laughs> I can. Um, that's just I will capitalize on that because the chances of him being usable on a week to week basis like we want out of wide receivers um, in situations like that. Uh, it's the chances of that are just pretty slim at that point. Jesse, anyone else from this rookie class that stands out uh, either in a good way when it comes to breakout age or, or maybe a bad way, maybe a player that you're avoiding uh, other than Henry Ruggs? So I have uh, actually two guys that I, that I really like the only two in this, in this class that, uh, have an age 18 breakout and that's Jalen Rager and Brian Edwards and everybody who's who's my, maybe has a leg up on Brian Edwards actually knows that his breakout age is, is lower than 18 it's about 17 17.7 if I remember correctly and he played half of his entire freshman season at age 17 and, and walked into massive production there and he also maintained that production over a four-year career at competing with Debo Samuel as well so um, the fact that we can look at a guy like Brian Edwards, who uh, still maintained and uh, consistently put up numbers and surpassed these thresholds on a year-to-year basis with a guy like Debo Samuel, who many were uh, very excited coming in, and actually many of many Dynasty players are really trying to get their hands on uh, right now, um, the fact that he was able to do that while Debo was there, that's a huge green flag for me. I'm definitely looking at acquiring him. Pending draft capital, uh, there's a lot of mixed mixed things going on uh, with him and and how people view him. So I think situation where he is will will be a, a slight factor. But um, him and, and Jalen Rager, I've, I, I love Jalen Rager. I've loved. Um, I love his breakout age, all of his analytics. He was on a putrid, absolutely putrid TCU offense this year and still maintained about 30% of the overall production there. Um, He's done it since age 18 as well. So those two guys are are guys that are going to be at the top of my board. And the best thing about them is you're you're not going to have to spend that 104, 105 on them. You're going to be able to snag them probably a little bit later in the draft, depending on on where they go. I'm assuming Jalen Rager, if he spikes, you'll probably be able to get him maybe 108 to the 112 
myself. I at least I'm hoping right now, projecting sort of. Yeah. So Ed- Edwards is a really interesting case as you as you laid out there. He reminds me a lot not not as a player, not in playing style, but just kind of his story reminds me of Stefan Diggs and Keenan Allen. We saw both of those guys break out as freshmen. Uh, Allen at Cal and and Diggs at Maryland. And I believe they they each ended up playing four years. I think that's right. But essentially, as their career, as their college career went on, they were overshadowed by by other players on their team or in their conference, and uh, they just kind of became old news. Both of them fell in the draft. Uh, Allen was, I believe, a third rounder, and Diggs was a day three pick, a fifth rounder, I think. And, and they also each fell in dynasty rookie drafts. Allen was late first or early second, and Diggs, you could. You could steal him in the third round of a lot of rookie drafts. And then we know what's happened since then. So uh, Edwards, I kind of see him on that same path. We'll see where he ends up getting drafted. But if he's that late day two, early day three pick, that's not going to scare me away from him. Yeah, not not at all. If he's drafted anywhere within the first three rounds in, in the NFL draft, I'm I'm very excited for him. I'm hoping that maybe people that aren't aware of this data, uh, listen to it, love it, learn it and everything, but I'm hoping that I might be able to to get over uh, one on a couple couple people in my rookie drafts and, and snag him a little bit later. Jesse, thanks so much for coming on today. I've learned yeah. a lot. I know Matt has as well. This is not a topic we have talked a ton uh, about here on the show over the, the couple of years, so uh, I loved learning from you. Tell our listeners where they can find your work. Yeah, uh, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, it's it's always great to be able to share this stuff with you guys. And, and you two are, are guys that I've followed for a while now uh, in my time in the community and everything. So it's it's amazing for you uh, to be able to hop on and, and, and talk to you guys about this. So thank you first and foremost. Um, second, you guys can uh, find all my work over at playerprofiler.com or Roto Underworld. That's uh, primarily where you guys can read any of my articles or if I'm uh, anything I release will be through that platform. Um, anything else in terms of data, spreadsheets like this, <clears throat> knowledge about breakout age, age-adjusted market share, anything, you guys can follow me over at Jesse Reeves FF on Twitter. That's my primary vessel for just communicating with people and, and getting this stuff out there. Good stuff. Thanks so much, Jesse. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint. Dynasty Blueprint.